Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Revs are coming off of a thrilling 4-3 victory over DC United in their home finale of the 2020 season. It temporarily moves them into sixth place over Nashville, who does have a game in hand on the Revolution. But overall, a much-needed result for the Revs following a heartbreaking 1-0 loss on Wednesday to New York Red Bulls. Um, I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today is Sean Donahue. Sean, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Good. Yeah, it's good to be back, and it's good to be back after an exciting match instead of a 0-0 or 1-0 or, or some of the, the more uh, snoozy matches I feel like we were seeing when I was last on. Yeah, we're so used to talking about one nothing games and you know the defense holding up and off the offense really disappointing and being unable to beat defenses that have bunkered in, and uh, this just totally flipped the narrative completely on its head. Um, a game that the Revs fell down 2 nothing on two really terrible defensive miscues uh, early in the first half, but uh, they clawed their way back to take the lead twice. Uh, they, they beat the bunkering uh, a few times in this game and ended up with the full three points against a, a very weak DC United and a very shorthanded DC United team. So uh, Sean, what are your thoughts or, or what is your key takeaway from tonight's game? Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned a key point and this was a very weak DC United team and a shorthanded DC United team. Um, and defensively, I mean, there's a lot of good things you can take away from this game. Offensively, you saw a lot of fight back from the revolution. Um, but defensively, I think there's a lot of worrying signs from this game. You know, you had the first choice revolution defense and yes, Dewan Jones got hurt and Brandon by came in, but you know, if anything, um, you know, in theory, that's a, a good defensive sub for the Revolution because I think, you know, the, the theory is that Dewan Jones provides more offensively, but Brandon Bay is, you know, a great one-on-one -on -one defender. Um, but they gave up three goals, two in the first half, uh, a lot of sloppy defending. And, you know, you, you can say the rain and the turf played a factor, um, and it certainly did. But um, there were a lot of guys left wide open. I, you know, Assad on that first goal was was wide open. Um, you know, I think Yao got pretty open on that cross that led to the second goal. Uh, I think Kessler's probably lucky that didn't go down as an own goal. Um, and, you know, then Rivas was able to turn on Brandon Bay and, and get that shot off. I don't think he, Brandon Bay played him quite closely enough there uh, and should have done more. So there were, there were a lot of defensive questions left in this game because, you know, DC United is a very weak offensive team, a very weak team in general, um, and missing a lot of guys. This is a game where you'd expect the revolution, you know, even in the sloppy conditions to, you know, maybe they'll give up a, a sloppy goal and, and, you know, concede one, but to concede three goals to this DC United team is worrying. And I think the offensive um, minded lineup that the revolution put out there uh, to try to get all their DPs on the field, especially in the second half, um, might not be one that's feasible against better offensive teams. And, and, and that to me is, is kind of the takeaway is I, I still don't know how the revolution manages to get their three DPs out on the field in a way that doesn't put them in trouble defensively because um you know if 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 the goal is going to be to kind of play like the revolution played in the second half uh with Buxa, Bo, uh and and Heal out there along with Bunbury and Buchanan and then have you know Heal and, and McNamara who are you know two guys that are maybe more offensive minded uh having to really play a, a two-way role uh in midfield I think the revolution are in trouble defensively um and that wasn't even necessarily the problem in the first half because they you know with Caldwell out there they had a slightly more defensive minded lineup but um of, of all the things you could take away from this game that was the one that I think is a bit worrying going forward um is you know this defense isn't as solid as we thought it was um at times and you know I'm not sure 
how you fit all three DPs on the field um, without sacrificing the defense in a way that might hurt you um, against you know better offensive-minded teams. Yeah, and I don't think the Revs are really equipped from how they've played. They've kind of played very low-scoring soccer. I don't know if they want to kind of flip it on their head and play you know high-scoring shootout soccer because. Um, you know, DC for the most part bunkered for for the majority of this game. Uh, in the in the first half, even though they had the two one lead at halftime, they had eleven completed passes in the attacking third uh, through halftime, uh, which was tied with Carly's heel, who himself had eleven completed passes uh, in the attacking third at halftime. Um, yeah, I, I mean th- that first goal was completely inexcusable in every single way possible. I saw a lot of people blaming Brandon By for that goal, um, but really that was on Scott Caldwell because Scott Caldwell, Brandon By is guarding. Uh, I, I forget who crosses the ball, but he's guarding him. There's an overlapping run, and Scott Caldwell essentially waves him off to to cover the overlapping run. But then Caldwell doesn't close him down, and then the ball goes into a wide open uh, DC player who Tommy McNamara just was not keeping track of, just totally right. drifted away and left him. I, I mean, yards of space. Um, yeah, Ma- McNamara was covering nothing. He was covering like air, and then he just Assad drifted in behind him. It was so unorganized, and and I think Tommy McNamara must have assumed Bootner was back there or something like that, or maybe Kessler was going to slide over and take him. But, I, I mean, I have not seen the Revs leave someone that wide open, at least this season. I mean, it, it was an embarrassing display. Uh, and then the second goal was, you know, the ball just kind of fell at their feet. The third goal, I, I do kind of give a little bit of sympathy that McNamara got trucked over. Um, you know, I, I, I understand the both sides' logic there that, um, you know, maybe McNamara wasn't involved in the play, so that, that play stand. I, I do think that was a foul, and it should have been called in real time. But maybe you, it's not "quote unquote" clear and obvious. So, so I, I give the Revs a little bit of a um, pass on the third goal. But as you said, Brandon By a little bit weak on that play. Um, there was another play too that I thought should have been a goal. There was a cross. Uh, I don't have the minute here, but uh, it was sometime in the second half where there's a cross and Andrew Farrell just misreads it. And, you know, the ball goes over his head. He misses the header. He spins around. He makes a slide tackle uh, and he he makes the emergency save. You don't need to make the emergency miracle save if you're just, you know, line that ball up properly and head it away. Uh, and we've seen Farrell kind of get shakier and shakier as the season has gone on. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the positives of the Revs are that the offense seems to be waking up a little bit, but it seems like the defense that was so rock solid at the beginning of the season uh, is it, slowly deteriorating. And I'm very concerned because, you know, tonight was D.C. United. They conceded three times to one of the weaker teams in the East when they get matched up against a stronger team. Uh, they're, they're certainly going to be conceding uh, in bunches if they play as poorly as they did tonight. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, the third goal, I agree with you. I think that probably was a foul and and probably should have been called off. Um, You know, maybe it's difficult on VAR because I'm not sure the foul necessarily impacted the play. I think that ball probably gets through anyways. Um, But, you know, even even with that said, I think you have to, you know, blame Brandon by a bit for not doing a better job of, you know, being close to his man and allowing him to turn his back was the goal. Um, and Brandon by was on him. He allowed him to turn and, and get that shot off to pass Turner. So um, yeah, you can, you can say it should have been called off, but it still was, I think a defensive error. Um, so, you know, against teams better than DC, it's going to be a struggle. And, you know, we've seen this season, Matt Turner's bailed out the revs a lot of times, you know, there wasn't much he could do on any of the goals today. Um, but, you know, Matt Turner, I think, I think as we said before, makes this defense look better than it is. And Brandon Bay is a person that got a lot of praise from us earlier in the season. He's gotten a lot of praise on the Revs broadcast. He was in the uh, MLS Soccer article earlier this month about he is one of the how he's one of the most underrated players uh, in MLS. 
Uh, and then I think ironically got benched for Dewan Jones shortly after that. But, um, you know, those are plays that he's supposed to be very strong at. Um, and then I, I also remember the play. I forget who they conceded against. I, I think it was Montreal, the the 3-2 win against Montreal. Uh, it was the second goal where he kind of just falls down. Um, and I, I don't know if he was trying to draw a penalty or, or, or a foul or, or what, but um, he's had some some flaws uh, and some uh Poor, poor uh, defensive plays that have ultimately hurt the Revs. And so, you know, we went from a d- defensive back line of, uh, you know, by uh, Farrell, uh, Kessler, Bootner, and all of them seemed pretty solid. Outside of Kessler, I'm not sure who on that back line is rock solid that I completely trust with right now. So um, it, it's a bit of, co- of a concern considering how close we are to the playoffs. I do want to give by credit for one really nice cross to Adam Buxa that he probably should have had an assist on, but Buxa, I think, put a little too close to Bill Hamid. Bill Hamid played phenomenally tonight. I, I tweeted out that Bill Hamid had the greatest uh, performance by a goalkeeper to concede four goals. And there were so many plays. I mean, there were a couple of rebounds. Um, I mean, there there were so many plays. I, I don't think any of those goals were Bill Hamid's fault. And he saved a bunch of plays. And, and that Buxa shot was was one of them that um, Hamid just had timed down perfectly. And he came out in the right, uh, the right moment. So um, I, I have a lot of sympathy for Bill Hamid, who is trying to single-handedly push DC into the playoffs right now. Well, and the Revs actually had seven big chances in this game, and I don't recall a game this season where they've been that high in, in the big chance stat. So seven big chances, only four scored. Um, you know, that's a good night for Bill Hamid, despite giving up four goals, as you said. Let's get to the offensive side of the ball, which you kind of are leading me into, and I just want to give. Plurops to a guy that I know has been very controversial in Revs land, but year in and year out, Teal Bunbury shows up to play. He scored his 41st and 42nd goals with the club. Um, he passed Joe Max Moore tonight. He tied Steve Ralston on the Revs all-time list. Uh, he has just been extremely reliable and extremely clutch time and time again. Uh, and this brace tonight, the first goal, you know, Teon, you know, sends him a low cross, and I don't think there was necessarily anything very special with it. But uh, on that second goal, he placed that ball perfectly into the side netting. Um, Teal Bunbury was a difference maker tonight. I think we can point to a number of people uh, on the Revs team who were difference makers tonight, along with Teon Buchanan. Uh, but Teal Bunbury, I think, is going to be the man of the match overwhelmingly uh, in Roseland. And even if you were the biggest Teal Bunbury ha- hater, uh, you have to give him credit and say that he showed up tonight. Yeah, I completely agree. And you mentioned Tejon too. He had a fantastic game, you know, creating that own goal and then also setting up Teal Bunbury for, you know, pretty easy finish on the first goal. But um, like you said, that second goal, he deserves a lot of credit for. I think, you know, watching that replay, I think Teal Bunbury put, put it in probably the only spot he could have put it in. Um, it was such a crowded box. So uh, a lot of credit to him for for scoring twice tonight and coming up big when the revolution needed him, you know, on a night when it was all about, you know, Gustavo Bo, Carles Heel. Um, you know, it was Teal Bunbury that shone the brightest and, and Tejan Pugannon. Yeah, Teal Bunbury with his 16th game winning goal for the Revs. He ties Diego Fagundes for third in that category. He's two off from Lee Wynn, uh, who is second uh, in second place in that category. Taylor Twelman leads that category with 28, obviously. Um, also, I am guessing that that is his third uh, multi-goal game. I'd have to go back and check. I know it's his second this season uh, in MLS, but he would tie Diego Fagundes, Kellen Rowe, and Juan Agadello uh, as uh, Revs with three multi-goal games, which is tied for sixth in Revs history. So, um, you know, he, he's slowly climbing up the leaderboard uh, in, in Revs ranks and is leading the team in goals this season. He's come up clutch time and time again. I think a lot of people, including me, would come into the season and expect Teal Bunbury to be a guy who's 
aging they might be looking to move on from. Um, he might not have a spot on this team with three defensive players who are in your or three designated players who are in your attacking four, plus Justin Runnicks, plus Tayon Buchanan, plus some young kids who are up and coming. Um, but Teal Bunbury is somehow leading this team in goals and is proving that he is well worth uh, every penny the Revs are paying him. So, um, Sean, I I guess we'll get to listener questions right now. We don't have a ton of time because we are recording this post game. Um, so we'll hop right into listener questions. Revolution Report asks us, who misses out of Heel, Bo, Buxo, Wynn, Bunbury, and Buchanan, uh, I guess, in terms of lineups and, uh, you know, when they, they end up in the playoffs? So, Sean, you have six pretty solid attackers in your that and only four spots in your attacking four. Heel, Bo, Buxo, Wynn, Bunbury, and Buchanan. Who are you playing? Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a good problem to have, but it is a problem. Um, and I, I still struggle with this one. You know, Adam Buxa uh, had a good goal today. He was you know, very smart and and quick to get on the rebound of that penalty kick and put it away. Um, but you know, I still sometimes when I when I watch Adam Buxa, even yeah, with five shots, four on target today, I still sometimes can't help but think you know, it's it's difficult to have um, a starting striker in this league that is so slow, he can't outpace a center back. Um, and, you know, even when his finishing has gotten better, he just has to do everything so well to make up for the fact that he's, he's pretty slow for a forward. Um, and, you know, I still don't think his finishing is as accurate as it needs to be. I think he had more chances in this game to score more than he did. Again, you know, great awareness from him to put away that, that rebound and the penalty kick into the empty net and be the first guy to it. Um, and, you know, I, you know, actually looking at who scored, I see that they had him as the player of the match, which I, I wouldn't agree with. But um, I don't know how you fit. So, you know, hypothetically, looking at the midfield, I think your midfield is going to be um, – you, you probably have to put Carles Heel on the right if you're going to play Lee Wynn. So Carles Heel is kind of the right cutting in. Lee Wynn in the center. I think Tejan Buchanan, you put him on the left. He's played so well. I think you have to play him. Um, so I think you have those three guys. And then I don't know that you can play both Gustavo Bo and Adam Buxa. I think Bruce Arena finds a way to do it. But if it was me, I think I'd almost you know put Buxa on the bench and have Gustavo Bo as that kind of number nine with you know expecting a lot of support from from Carles Hill. Um, and, you know, also have Bunbury coming off the bench. I just don't know that you can go more offensive than, you know, having those four guys and then having maybe a McNamara and a Polster or a McNamara and a Caldwell behind them when you're playing some of the better teams in the league. So I, I think two of those six have to sit. Yeah, and in my mind, I I think that we're going to see something very similar to what we see tonight. And I think a lot of it goes into the health of Gustavo Bo. Um, this question is a lot harder if you say, you know, if Gustavo Bo is healthy, who are you playing? But, um, you know, I think Buxa has gotten a lot better as the season has gone on. He's got three goals in his last five games. Uh, player of the game for uh, two of those last five games, according to who scored. As you said, I think that that is a very, bit of a flawed stat. But um, even if his goal off of the uh, missed win PK is... Um, you know, a bit of a fluke. He still had a gutsy play there to draw the penalty in the first place. Um, he has still shown some flashes where he is um, very capable and is a bit of a weapon. Uh, again, is he worth a designated player spot? I think that is up for debate. But Adam Buxa has been showing improvement over time. And the people who were very patient with Adam Buxa and a lot more patient than us, I, I think, are a little bit vindicated. So um, I, I think we're going to see Buxa up top to start the playoffs. I, I think his, he's solidified his spot. I think Bo is going to be coming off the bench in a super sub role. And that's mostly because of his health. Um, I think we're going to see a heel win pairing uh, and they'll kind of replace each other. Um, and again, that might be based on heels health as well on how many minutes we see him. But um, 
you know, we, I think they're going to get him 90 minutes fit. He went 70 minutes tonight. They seem like they are really, really pushing for him to um, get 90 minutes fit. Uh, and then I, I don't see how you take out Teal, uh, Teal Bunbury, who's got eight goals on the season. And I don't see how you take out Teal, uh, or uh, Taeyeon Buchanan, who um, set up two goals between the DC United own goal and the uh, third goal with um, um, – uh, that was uh, Teal, Bar- Teal Bunbury's first goal. Boy, we scored so many goals; it's hard to keep track and, and articulate. Morally, I'm just talking about the goal. Well, um, I, I don't know if you saw. I don't know if you saw New England's broadcast, but I think um, if you did, um, when they scored that fourth goal to make it four three, Charlie Davies said the Revs scored to make it two nothing. So we're not the only yeah. ones losing track of the goals. <laughs> I mean, it's been a long time since we've had to count to four, uh, especially four three. I mean, I, I can't remember the last time we had a, a seven goal game with the Revs. I'll have to look that up later. But um, yeah, I mean, Tayon. Buchanan was an absolute whack weapon. Those two goals he set up, there was also the play in the, I'll have to look it up uh, again. I don't have the minute down here, but he has that nice back heel pass. Uh, Brandon by steals the ball or he forces the ball. Tayon collects it, does a nice back heel to Carly's heel. He sets up McNamara who, who has a very nice shot and Bill Mead uh, makes an incredible save. Uh, I mean, that's the play of the game if it goes in, but it's a bit of an afterthought just because it's one of the, the few shots that didn't go in uh, tonight. Um, I mean, Tayon was all over the place. He was very dangerous. Uh, there were a few dangerous crosses that didn't connect. Um, there was that back heel play. So I, I don't see how you bench Tayon Buchanan. He, he's, which is incredible considering where we were at the MLS's back tournament with him. Um, he's really shown improvement and um, he, he seems like a full scale starter. So um, yeah, my, my guess is Buxa, uh, Bunbury, Heel, Buchanan. And then when you're down and you need some help, I think you have Gustavo Bo come in for Buxa uh, or you play a 4-1-4-1 um, with one defensive midfielder like a Polster or a McNamara. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways you could go with this, but I, I, you certainly can't fit all six of them on the pitch at one time without giving up way too much defensively. And I, and I still struggle to see how you fit five of them on the pitch without giving up too much defensively against one of, you know, some of the better teams in the league. You might be able to do it against D.C. and, and win 4-3, but there's a, you know, a lot of other teams out there that I think defensively you'd be in a lot of trouble doing that. I also think, Bo, really outside of scoring goals, I'm not sure – he adds a ton of value otherwise. I don't think he's a great accurate passer. I, I don't think he holds the ball up as well as Adam Buxa. And he's got five goals in the season. He, he I mean, we saw the missed shot from him tonight where he was one-on-one with Bill Amid, Um And his health is a major question mark. So um, I, I, I can't justify benching Teal, Tayon, Buxa, or Heal um, over Gustavo Bo at this point. So, uh, But that's a really good question. Uh, Bruce Arena has a lot of decisions to make. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm very confused by... Uh, Bruce Arita's uh, lineup decisions, so I, I'm sure I'll be surprised in the future. But um, Revolution Report also asks us, why no Matt Polster? Um, Sean, I had a theory about Matt Polster last week because he is on yellow card watch, and I said, um, you know, Matt Polster is probably sending out these next two games, but we'll probably see him against New York Red Bull or we'll probably see him against DC United um, in one of these must-win games. Yet Scott Caldwell continues to start. Uh, what are your thoughts on Matt Polster and him not being in the lineup? Yeah, I mean, I I don't get it either because when he first came, when he first started playing for the Revolution, I thought he was you know doing a really good job and pretty much locked down the spot. Um, you know, with the injury, maybe, maybe there's more to the injury that he hasn't recovered from, but I don't think he'd be playing at all if that was the case. So it's it's hard it's hard for me to say what's what's going on there. Um, you know, he hurt the Revolution with that red card. Uh, you know, a month and a half ago, I don't know if Bruce is still kind of holding that against him. Um, and you know, there have been a few plays here and there where you could point to that, you know, you know, he could be partially blamed for a goal. Um, 
But at the end of the day, I, I don't know why he's not seeing more minutes. I don't know why when the Revolution have had such a tight schedule um, and they have some depth at that spot, there hasn't been more rotation. Um, but there seems to be something that Bruce Arena doesn't like that he's seen from Matt Polster, whether it's the red card, whether it's you know a couple of mistakes here and there. I, I just don't get it. It seems like even if he's not your everyday starter anymore, um, that with how busy the schedule has been, he should have been getting a lot more minutes than he's been getting if he's fully healthy. Yeah, and with a week off until your next game, I assume Scott Caldwell is going to be playing again. Although Scott Caldwell did not have a great game, um, again he he had the he waved off Brandon by and then failed to close down the crosser on the first goal. Um, he had a couple of uh, poor passes tonight. I, I, you can give him a bit of a break because of um, the conditions, but this was not one of Scott Caldwell's finer performances. Um, we did get a question during the game, which I, I think is interesting to pass on to you though. What does Scott Caldwell do that Matt Polster, what does Scott Caldwell do better than Matt Polster? Like, is there something, some quality that he has that, you know, maybe Bruce sees and, and Bruce is kind of valuing more than the fans at home? You know, I think he, for one, I think he's less apt to get a red card than Matt Polster. Um, not that that's a huge part of Matt Polster's games, but I think he, he plays smarter in that sense. And I do think his his passing accuracy is, you know, a bit better. He's not going to make a, you know, try to force something and make a turnover. Um, I, he's a little bit of a safer choice in that sense, but I, I can't, it's hard for me to point to anything, um, you know, that he does overwhelmingly better than Matt Polster. I think Matt Polster is better at breaking up plays. I think Matt Polster is, you know, better at kind of making that defense splitting pass at times and kind of playing a faster pace. If Bruce Arena wants to play a, a slower pace, I think, Scott Caldwell is a guy that can kind of slow down the tempo of a game. Um, but I think, you know, if anything, the Revolution have needed to play a faster pace in some of these past few games. And in that sense, you know, Scott Caldwell hasn't helped. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm not really sure what Scott Caldwell does better than Matt Polster, other than perhaps being, you know, less of a risk to get a red card. Although I think that's also kind of being harsh on, on Matt Polster because I don't think he's actually had that many red cards throughout his career. Yeah, and he's had four. Uh, well, he's had, he had the red card. Uh, at Philadelphia Union, but um, only one start since then. I mean, he obviously had his um, concussion, and so that is why his minutes were limited. But he made a 90-minute start against Montreal Impact, and my key takeaway from that game is that Matt Polster is great. Since then, he has had appearances of 30 minutes, 7 minutes, 45 minutes, and then tonight, 4 minutes to really just kind of see the game out. So for whatever reason, Matt Polster is not getting a, a whole lot of minutes. My, my guess is that it's injury-related. I don't think the accumulation of yellow cards is – that big of a deal at this point since it resets before the playoffs. So um, I, I'm a bit stumped on this one as well. But uh, TSB11 on Discord has another question about Scott Caldwell. He says, is tonight a one-off or has Bruce figured out he doesn't need Scott Caldwell for the team to be effective? Uh, Sean, what are your thoughts? I think it's a one-off. I think it's a situation where they were you know, down. They had Gustavo Bow on the bench and they wanted to play a really offensive lineup. DC United was packing it in. The Revolution have really struggled against teams packing it in. Um, I, again, like I said earlier, I, I don't think you can get away with your central midfield pairing, um, you know, kind of playing a four, four, two with, with, uh, Carly's heel and Tommy McNamara as your only central midfielders. I don't, I don't think you can get away with that. So, um, I don't think Bruce Arena's figured out he doesn't need Scott Caldwell. Um, maybe in the future he'll figure out that, you know, Matt Polster or next year, Lewis Caicedo are better options than Scott Caldwell. But I, I, I don't think that this is this game and the situation that we saw is, you know, representative of what we're going to see going forward. I think it was a situational thing. We did get another question from John Pilkington on Twitter who says, did Caldwell start because of the rain? Um, that's an interesting theory that, that maybe because of a, the rain and, and a faster game that maybe that played an influence of it. But, I mean, it seems like Bruce Arena has been running out Scott Caldwell regardless, and Scott Caldwell isn't exactly the fastest player on the, on the field. So I, I can't imagine that was a factor too much, but that's an interesting theory. 
Yeah, it's an interesting theory, but I, you know, if if we hadn't seen him start the the previous two games and or the previous three games rather, and then I you know missed one game, but then before that several games in a row, I I think it's you know if if not for that, I might have bought into that theory, but I don't I don't think that's what happened here. And it's interesting too, since Bruce Arena barely played Scott Caldwell until the Portland game at the end of the season last year, and then he played him in in the Atlanta game um, in the playoffs, uh, and. He's flipped from being completely in the Bruce Arena doghouse to this season, almost being too much out of the doghouse. So, well, you'd almost just one more point on that. You'd almost think that in a rainy game like this, where you're playing a DC United team that's probably going to play a lot of direct soccer, that would be more of a reason to play Matt Polster, you know, who's got you know what, four inches of height on on Scott Caldwell, um, and you know, better in the air at winning headers. So uh, you'd almost think, if anything, the rain might be of a you know, in playing a DC United team that's going to play defensively and play long balls, that Matt Polster might be more effective. The only other thing, the theory I could have is that Caldwell is maybe more of a leader. I know he wears the captain ar- captain's armband from time to time. Maybe he is just a little more better in coordination that moment, Matt Polster. Maybe there is something um, from a teamwork perspective that he's a little more organized, whereas Matt Polster might be might go a little too rogue or might be caught out of position too much. I mean, I, I can't really – that's just a theory I'm throwing out there. I'm, I'm just kind of speaking off the cuff, but – um, you know, Matt Polster is new to the team. He's only been the team with two months or so. So maybe between that and the injury, maybe that's it. But um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm with our listeners on this one. I, I think Matt Polster is the superior player and, and we're not too down on Scott Caldwell. I think our listeners are more down on Scott Caldwell than we are, but um, I, I'm really baffled by this one. So um, the age old question, John, John Pilkington also asks us the age old question, which we got just last week. And I think we've had this probably seven or eight times, but uh, the weekly Brandon By or Dewan Jones at right back going forward. Sean, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I struggle with this one. I don't think Brandon By had the best game, but I also, you know, we've talked about it before. I don't think, or at least I've talked about it on Twitter. I don't think Brandon By, you know, did anything particularly bad to get benched. I thought he was having a you know decent season. Um, it was. You know, again, after the MLS's back tournament, there were people calling for him to play on the U.S. national team. There were people that said he you know, might have been the best right back of the tournament. Um, I thought that praise was over the top, but I did think he was having a, a pretty decent season. I didn't see a significant drop off. Uh, his offense has been inconsistent. Um, it's gotten better over the years, but it's still very inconsistent. We saw that one good cross to Adam Buxa today, um, but we, you know, when we saw some good crosses earlier on in the season. Um, with that said. I do think Brandon Bay has really good chemistry with Carles Heel, especially if you end up in a situation where Carles Heel, you know, you're trying to play Carles Heel and Lee Wynn at the same time. I think Brandon Bay, you know, overlapping with Carles Heel um, has worked really well for the revolution in the past. Um, so I don't know what Bruce Arena's tactics are going to be going forward. If they are to have Carles Heel, you know, permanently as kind of that number 10 in the middle, um, then I think Dewan Jones and Tejan Buchanan on the right combine really well. I think that we've seen, a, you know, we saw some good stuff from them. Um, and I think that's the the path to go forward. Uh, but I think if, you know, and this could all be, a, you know, an irrelevant point, depending on how serious DeWan Jones's injury today is. We should mention he went off in the 20th minute. Bruce Arena, after the game, you know, didn't have any update and said he probably won't know anything or he'll know more on Wednesday when the revolution returned to training. Um, so that's also interesting, too. They're taking a couple of days off. Um, but you know, I I think it, it's going to be situational for me on who's better. If it's if it's Carles Heel, I think he works well with Brandon By. If it's Tejan Buchanan, I like Dewan Jones there. Um, I don't think 
there's too much of a difference quality-wise between the two of them as far as who's the better player at right back. I think it's more about a situational thing where, you know, Dewan Jones has a bit more pace. Um, he can do a bit more offensively. Uh, defensively, Brandon Bay has played there so much, he has a bit more that he can offer there. Um, and I actually think that, you know, Brandon Bay might still be a better crosser of the ball in the air um, whereas Dewan Jones has been really good with those low crosses recently. So um, if it's Carlos Heel, Brandon Bay, if it's on the right, if it's Tejon Buchanan on the right, then I think uh, Dewan Jones is the better option. Yeah, and Dewan Jones and Tejon Buchanan's speed absolutely kills. I mean, Tejon Buchanan on his own is torching left backs. So Dewan Jones just adds another layer uh, of headaches to uh, the opponent's left backs. Um, we did get a question from Cleggy on Discord. Uh, would the Revs be better suited to play with our fullbacks not as high up on uh, the sides along the wings. Um, Sean, what are your thoughts about the Revs pushing up? I, I think moving to Juwan Jones is kind of a sign that the Revs want to play a little bit more offensively, against, especially against an inferior team like uh, DC United. Um, what are your thoughts about the Revs' strategy pushing up their fullbacks? Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it is a sign of that. Although with that said, I think we, you know, Brandon Bay was pushing up a ton uh, all throughout the season. It's been kind of a, a part. Well, it was, I think it was a part of. Yeah, Brad Friedel's offense, and it's carried over to be a part of Bruce Arena's offense of, of having the fullbacks really push uh, up a lot. And, you know, when you have a guy like Alexander Butner who can cross the ball pretty well, um, and you have a guy like Adam Buxa in the box, uh, it makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, Butner could potentially be your, your best crosser from the run of play. Um, so it makes sense to push him up for that. And then Tejan Buchanan can offer a lot on offense, so it makes sense to do that. And it, it definitely makes sense to do that against weaker offensive teams like DC United or just weaker teams in general like DC United. And really, um, like with the exception of, you know, Philadelphia, like the Revs have been playing a lot this season with the, the regionalized soccer. Um, with that said, if you go into the playoffs and you're playing, you know, uh, a full strength Toronto FC um, or even a full strength Philadelphia Union, um, then I do think you have to be a bit more conservative and, and keep the fullbacks back more. You know, it's a, it's a nice luxury to have when you're playing, you know, a not very good team as the revolution have, you know, fortunately had a lot of on their schedule. Um, but I do think it's something that they'll get burned by, you know, when they're playing some of the better teams in the league and when they're playing some of the better wingers in the league. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's interesting to see if they do shift to Brandon by, as opposed to Dewan Jones, when they face a team that, uh, matches them, uh, or overwhelms them, uh, offensively. So, uh, we did get a question from David civilian. He says, we blame the defense for every single goal. At a certain point, the keeper needs to take responsibility for stopping goals from happening. Is Matt Turner getting a pass from fans because he's our Lord and Savior? I think there's a little bit of humor with this question, but what are your thoughts on Matt Turner? I, I, I don't think Matt Turner is flawless, but I'm not sure you know, necessarily what he could have done on, on any of the goals tonight. Um, you know, An unfortunate own goal, a guy being left wide open. Um, and another guy being allowed to turn, I don't that I'm sure, you know, made it hard for Matt Turner to see too. So I, I, you know, yes, Matt Turner isn't flawless, but I don't know that tonight's the game where you can put much blame on Matt Turner. And I think, you know, more often than not, Matt Turner has been the guy saving the revolution when they should have conceded more goals than they have. Um, you know, the defense, again, like I said earlier, has been worse than their record shows because of how good Matt Turner has been overall this season. Yeah, and once again, going into this game, Matt Turner was leading the league in the expected goals to expected goals against, or goals against, expected goals against to goals against differential. He was again first in that category, although Sean Johnson was uh, right behind him catching up. So that might change uh, with three goals conceded tonight. Uh, it might be lowered a little bit, but uh, I, I still think Matt Turner is um, 
MLS all-star worthy or best 11, uh, potentially best 11 worthy. He certainly has a good case for goalkeeper of the year again. Uh, so I, I even though there were no outstanding staves by Matt Turner, uh, I don't think you can blame him for anything that we saw here tonight. Um, got a question from, or actually it's just a statement from Alex Dolan, who was on our show last week. Uh, he says two goals conceded were due to players being unmarked in the box. This is a theme that has continued through three different coaches. Now that to me is concerning. So um, along with your uh, key takeaway from tonight's game, Alex is uh, step in step with you. Uh, we did get a question from Brian on Twitter. Uh, this is the type of game I was expecting a lot before the season started. Lots of goals for both teams. Obviously this hasn't happened much uh, at all or at all this year, but could this be what the team looks like in the playoffs or was this a complete fluke? Um, we talked, touched on this a little bit um, on what we kind of expect going forward and if they're going to kind of get into shootouts with teams. But um, Sean, Sean, what, what do you think? Was tonight a one-off or do you think the Revs are going to be playing a little more offensive focused? I think it was a fluke. I think it was a product of a really rainy day um, and falling behind by two goals early and you know having to shuffle the deck to to really go at it offensively to make up for that. I don't think Bruce Arena is a coach that wants to play four three games. Um, and I don't think playing four three games is a is a winning strategy against again some of the better teams in the league. So um, you know when the Revs get into the playoffs and when the Revs are are likely to have to go on the road if if they advance past the first round. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't think we're going to see a, a big shift to kind of playing a more open brand of, of attacking soccer. I think Bruce Arena is a guy that likes to be solid at the back and, and kind of build from there, despite the offensive talent they have. Yes. Um, the other thing, too, I'll say is that I think the narrative in the past few weeks has been when a team is bunkering, the Revs can't break them. And the Revs broke them twice tonight. Um, actually, I guess really you can say they broke them three or four times tonight when DC pulled back because DC really had no interest in, in pushing forward and uh, putting the Revs on the, their their back foot. So there really wasn't a lot of um, you know counterattacking opportunities. The Revs really had to grind out and work for their goals tonight. So um, I, I think that is a positive step in the correct direction. But overall, I, I think you're right. They fell down two goals early and they realized they had to bring off Scott Caldwell and put on Gustavo Bow and really go out and, and be aggressive. And, you know, if you concede more goals because of it, you know, to hell with it. Um, they're not going to run out at 4-1, 4-1 uh, against, you know, Philadelphia or Columbus. They're, they're going to try to grind out some 2-1 or, or one nothing games. Um, got a question from uh, Randy LH on Twitter. It's another, uh, was this a fluke, but was the optional defending tonight a fluke? Uh, any obvious explanation for it? Uh, Sean, we've kind of noted the defensive concerns. It's a bit of an issue for us. Do you think this performance tonight was a fluke or what are your thoughts? Um, no, I don't defensively. Unfortunately, I don't think it was a fluke. I think that again, their record is better than it should be defensively because they've been playing bad teams and because Matt Turner's bailed them out. Um, there's there's no excuse, as the other you know listener mentioned, there's no excuse for guys getting open multiple times on, on set pieces or in the run of play and having a wide open guy in the box. It shouldn't happen, um, especially at this point in the season. That's you know preseason stuff that you work out and figure out. And um, you know I'm surprised Bruce Arena hasn't coached that out of them more, especially when, you know, they're all everyone that's out there at this point has played a lot of minutes this season and, and, and the chemistry should be there. So I don't, unfortunately, I don't think that's a fluke. Um, I do think maybe it's a fluke that DC United was the team to exploit it because they're not a good team. I think that was maybe in, in part, well, part, part of what happened to the revolution tonight, I think maybe was a product of the weather. Um, but you can't just write it off for that. I don't, I don't think what we saw was a fluke. I think it's a worrying sign um, that the revolution need to clean up going forward and that they should have cleaned up by now. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to see three sloppy goals like we did, 
against DC tonight, but I, I don't think this is a team that you can expect a shutout from every single game. Um, you know, I think I think Matt Turner had five clean sheets pretty early in the season through I think you know 13 or 14 games, and he's only had one since. Um, I'd have to go back and actually count that up of when the last time we had a shutout was. Last time was. September 28th against DC United, it was a 2-1 win. So that was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games ago. And before that, you have to go all the way back to the 0-0 draw against uh, the Philadelphia Union, which was at the restart of the MLS's back tournament. So um, I, think, I think you skipped over the 0-0 draw with Nashville in the first game of October. Oh, yeah, I certainly <laughs> did. Why is that not on who scored? Am I missing something? Uh, who, who knows this season? Yeah, that's that's who scored. That's who scored's fault. I don't know why it's not listed here. Maybe I'm reading this all wrong. But either way, um, you know, they haven't had as many clean sheets lately. They've been having some own goals. They've been having some mistakes. So, you know, I, I think you can expect the refs to concede once or twice. Um, I'm certainly not betting under 2.5 goals uh, as I was at the beginning of the uh, MLS's back tournament anymore. So, um, yeah, three goals is might be a, a bit of an outlier, but um, I, I don't expect them to keep a clean sheet anymore. Um Randy also asked us, also assuming a fully healthy and fit heel, Books and Bow for the playoffs, what is our realistic ceiling? And Paul also on the heels of that question, he says, uh, just going to come out and ask it, do you think the Revs could win MLS Cup? Uh, Sean, how far can this team go? Um, so I'm very curious to see how this plays out. Let's say the, the Revolution have a very difficult game to end the season in Philadelphia. Um, Philadelphia going for the supporter shield. Um, so there's a lot to play for for Philadelphia. Um, and Philadelphia has had the reps number all season. So um, going into the last game of the year, hypothetically, let's say the Revolution don't win that, and they fall into the situation where they have to play in that play-in round, um, I think the Revolution are favorites against any of those. You know, look, you look at the bottom four teams in the 10-team 10, 10 pitcher right now, Nashville, the Red Bulls, Montreal, Chicago Fire. So hypothetically, the Revs fall into that play-in round. I think that the Revolution are the favorites. I, I think the Revolution win that. Um, but then, you know, having to go on the road in the next round against, um, you know, hypothetically Philadelphia or hypothetically Toronto, um, you know, if Toronto is allowed to play actual home games at that point, because um, who knows? Uh, I think it's going to be very difficult for the revolution to, to get past that. And, you know, hypothetically, I don't know what the revolution's ceiling is, but I don't know that there's enough time. Um, you know, with one game left this season for Bruce Arena to figure out his optimal lineup and for there to be the chemistry necessary uh, between, you know, Buxa, Bo and, and Carles Heel, the three Revolution designated players um, for the Revolution to reach that ceiling. So I, I don't think the Revolution can win it all this year. And I think, you know, maybe if everyone had stayed healthy all year and there hadn't been all these injuries and they built that chemistry, maybe the talent is there to do it. I just have trouble seeing them all coming together to make that work. Um, with such little time left against, you know, some some really good teams that, you know, Philadelphia, for example, has been playing phenomenal all season, 8-0-0 at home. Uh, if the Revolution have to go there in the playoffs, and they, you know, at some point probably will, um, I, I struggle to see how the Revolution go in there and get a win uh, based on what we've seen this so far this season. I just don't think the, the defense is quite strong enough, and I don't think the offense, well, I think it does have the talent to go all the way, um, doesn't have the chemistry and won't find it uh, quick enough. Yeah, and if you asked me this question a month ago, and I know I've said this a few times this year, but I kind of said, you know, we got a really strong defense. We can grind out a few games. You know, we're if we're a top four seed in the East, we really just need to, you know, grind it out against Philly or TFC, and and you know, we can get a one nothing win here. We can, you know, we get a, a, a correct bounce. They can take the East. 
I'm not so sure about that anymore because it's not just one bounce anymore. I, I, as I say, I, I'm not expecting any clean sheets from the Rebs the rest of the way. Um, and we're not talking about one upset in the East. I, I think you're talking about two upsets or maybe three upsets um, to win the Eastern Conference. So um, realistically, uh, you know, I, I think they could go, you know, they could win there, you know, whatever it is. If they, if they end up as the sixth seed, you know, I think they could maybe win their three or six seed game. But do I see them getting past a Philadelphia in Philadelphia? You know, you know as you said, where they're unbeaten, flawless and just smoke TFC five nothing. No, I, I don't. I think I think Philadelphia has the Revs number. And even though every game has been close, Philly has just been a little bit better every single game. So, um, you know, it, it's I'm not sure that they're equipped for a deep run. They're probably a little bit better in a little bit better of a spot than they were last season, but not significantly. And And even though they won tonight. Um, you know, their play recently has been, uh, pretty flat and pretty uninspiring, I think. And that's not a sign going, that's not a good sign going into the playoffs. Yeah. And, and worth, worth noting too, kind of looking at, at playoff scenarios. Um, you know, you mentioned Nashville has a game in hand. They're three points back from the revolution. Um, they, if, hypothetically, if they were to win their next game, they'd be tied with the revs. The first tiebreaker is wins. They'd be tied on wins. They have the exact same record as the revs. Um, the revs have one better goal differential than them. So if Nashville wins, they'd have at least, you know, they'd at least equal the revolution's goal differential. Um, and then again, the revolution would probably need to get a result in Philly to hold them in that spot. The red bulls are playing at home for their final game of the season, uh, against Toronto FC, if they win that game and the Revolution lose to Philadelphia, the Red Bulls have the tiebreaker because the Rebels Rebels have eight wins and one more win would put them at nine, so they'd be tied on points and one on the tiebreaker. So both Nashville and the Red Bulls have a you know a, a good a decent chance at catching the Revolution if the Revolution don't win in Philadelphia and Nashville could catch them either way. Um, so you know they're not assured of a top six spot yet. If the Revolution get a top six spot, I think. You know, there's a much better chance of them going further in the playoffs. If they end up in that play-in round, um, it's asking a lot out of the Revolution to to make a run, a, a very deep run, um, with a lot of games that they're not going to be favored in. Yeah, and I believe the play-in round is on a Wednesday, and then that kind of first round, or I guess the second round, the play-in round is on a Wednesday, and then the following round is that weekend. So you're asking a lot of... Um, you know, minutes from guys like Carles Hill and Gustavo Bo, who are coming off of injuries, and maybe Dewan Jones uh, coming off of injuries. So avoiding that play-in round, I think, is very, very crucial. Uh, and, and it might be the difference, because as I say, you know, the Revs could probably win a 3-6 matchup um, beating, let's say, Columbus. But can they win a 2-7 matchup against, you know, TFC uh, after three days after they played, you know, they went, they were in extra time against whoever, you know, Montreal or, you know, Chicago or whatever, you know, there's a a lot of factors. And I I think that play in round is um, very, very crucial. And and it's very important for the Revs to avoid that game. And unfortunately, Nashville is really in the driver's seat. Um, I'm not sure if the Revs are going to be able to pick up a um, win next week against Philadelphia. They might get a point. Um, But if, you know, I I think Nashville is one win away from clinching that sixth seed. So uh Tayon buchanan we got a question from fire fluid motion about Tayon buchanan did Tayon buchanan step up to the point that you guys were talking about earlier on in the season uh i kind of talked about him earlier uh in the podcast i absolutely think he has stepped up uh, uh to the point that we wanted uh sean i'll give you a few minutes to gush about Tayon. yeah i mean Tayon stepped up beyond the point that i you know ever expected him to this season i think he's you know <laughs> in the past month kind of stepped up to the point that i thought might be a ceiling you know, as he as he got older, so he's been playing phenomenally. Uh, it, he's you know every time he steps in the field, 
Um, he's creating chances for the revolution. He's been very dangerous. Again, two of the goals today were set up by him. He put that one on the platter for, for Bunbury on the first goal, and that own goal was you know completely set up by Buchanan. Um, so I don't think you can say enough good things about him. Um, and, and a guy that, you know, we've said it before, but, you know, earlier on the season, I think we were both ready for him to, to go to the bench and didn't really see what Bruce Arena was necessarily seeing and giving him so many minutes. Um, he's just been absolutely phenomenal for the revolution. And I think he's, you know, getting back to the, the question earlier about those six players, he's a must start now. You can't take him off the field. Um, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't think there's any way you can take him off the field the way he's playing. Um, and it's, you know, great news for the revolution that a 21 year old that they drafted is doing this well. And, you know, is a guy that should be part of the revolution setup for a very long time in the future. Um, and I think this is probably going to be part of the Canadian national team setup pretty soon too. Yeah. And we've come a long way for me again, declaring that I don't want to see him on the field during a tie game. Uh, I mean, he was an absolute game changer tonight and, you know, he he had that small sample uh, during the Brad Friedel area era where he was a game changer, um, and and he went away for a little bit. He had the missed header in Montreal. Uh, he, he really struggled in my eyes in the MLS's back cup tournament, um, but he has really come on in recent months to the point that I, I don't think you can take him out of the lineup in an important game. Um, yeah, just really solid overall player, and um, I mean of the young players on this team, uh, I, I think he's the one I'm most excited about going forward. He's made he's made Kakuta Mane essentially you know irrelevant even though he's he's had a few few good moments. Uh, I don't think Kakuta Mane sees any minutes when everyone's healthy because of how good Tejan Buchanan's been. Yeah, and and Mane it is worth noting that uh, Bruce Arena made a comment about uh, Mane that he wasn't the most fit when he came over from Cincinnati, so he kind of answered a lot of questions that Mane might not have been uh, in good condition. Uh, when he, that trade was made and, and many has played fine in his limited minutes, but he's essentially going to be relegated into a 30 to 40 minute bench role guy at most uh, during an important playoff game because, you know, we listed off those six guys in the attacking four on who do you play? Mane wasn't even a thought in that that question. So um, it, it is pretty incredible how uh, Teon has come on towards the end of the year. And as, as you say, Mane is more or less an afterthought at this point, and it's not because he's been playing bad. So uh, professional water drinker on Twitter, if that is his real name. He <laughs> says, I think the Revs attack looks most deadly when all three DPs are on the field. Uh, I would agree. Sean, any objection with that? Um, no, I, I don't disagree with that. It's just, it's it's still hard for me to find a way to get all three of them on the field at this point of the season. I just, I, I don't know how you do it with uh you know it's it's again it's one thing against dc when you're chasing to, to to get multiple goals um but just you know starting a game with all three of them i think you know based on how books has played and you know, the this type of style he has as a striker and kind of based on how gustavo Bo has played when he's having to play beneath him i i, I still I, the way i pictured it working at the start of the season i have trouble picturing it working now yeah, no, I, I agree with you, and it's a little too late to figure out how to work it out. So well, I, I honestly, I honestly thought, you know, going into the season, I was envisioning, you know, the you know the dream situation where you'd have, you know, Carles Hill being the setup guy and you know playing great balls into the box, and you'd have Adam Buxa kind of winning those balls and laying them off to Gustavo Bo. But how many times have we seen this season Adam Buxa kind of win a ball with his back to goal and lay it off to a striker? It doesn't seem to be the way he plays. Um, so that's how I envision this offense kind of functioning. And now we're seeing Adam Buxa play well, but he's still not that player. And, you know, if, if he's not laying balls off to Gustavo Bo to run onto, I don't know how they all, you know, kind of function and fit together in the same offense long term. Yeah, and I don't think, I mean, I, uh, we'll give Heal a pass, but I don't think Bo or Buxa has really 
met expect met their individual expectations um so you know the some of the parts haven't really worked out either i mean they played one a pair and at no point has this offense ever really gelled and bagged goals so um there really hasn't been a time when this revs offense has looked completely dangerous um and even tonight uh you know we're getting performances from Tayon buchanan and teal bunbury and the dps are kind of you know they're there and they're out there and the team looks uh you know dangerous quote unquote and, and they're they're bringing in goals but it's not necessarily because of those three designated players so i think there's a lot of frustration there too uh rev gunner uh says uh just a quick comment dc can't do it on a rainy night in foxborough uh they sure can't uh so um one more kind of topic before we go uh the var rule the third um dc goal i know we talked about it and we talked about brandon by um you know not not being as strong defensively as we would have liked him, but on that play, Tommy McNamara was shoved down uh, as the ball was being swung into the box. Uh, referee went to his earpiece, but ended up not going to the monitor, did not review it for VAR. Um, do you have any issues with how that went down? Because uh, for a little bit, it looked like it was going to be the costly goal uh, that cost the Revs two points. Yeah, I mean, it was tough. They, they didn't call it on the field. And, you know, watching the play, I don't know that necessarily the foul impacted the goal but i think it was you know still a foul and should have been called um with that said i also think that the penalty kick the revolution had could have been called outside the box because the the contract there was outside the box um and then buxa eventually fell down into the box um so i think there were you know calls here and there that could have gone either way um and i don't think the revolution can complain too much about the referee's decisions in this one we we did get a comment from jake i asked uh jake Hatnis, who was our refereeing expert on his opinion of the call uh, and he says, in his opinion, it should have been a foul. It was obstruction because the ball was in the air, intentional or not. And Pines never played the ball and takes out Tommy Mack off of the play. But I do think it's a blatant miscall. Uh, same thing happened last week, too. So he thinks that they should have gone to VAR. Uh, he also says, in terms of the first uh, Revs goal, which drew the penalty kick, uh, the yellow one, uh, the yellow card was correct. Um foul continued into the box the penalty kick is also correct so um got the third dc united goal wrong uh got the first revs goal correct from our refereeing expert uh, jake katniss of the bent musket thank you jake for your contribution um sean did you want to complain about the points per game rule it doesn't really impact the revs at all but it impacts the western conference uh, a lot of people on twitter were mad about it i don't really care do you have anything to say about it i mean i think i think it's what you got to do i i get the complaints but um, you know, if I was a Vancouver Whitecaps fan, uh, I might be a Real Salt Lake fan. I might be disappointed with it, but it's a very unusual and weird season. Um, at the same time, if you're a Vancouver Whitecaps fan and you have a negative 19 goal differential, you don't belong in the playoffs anyways. And that's a fair point. And I, I will say, I think this rule makes a lot more sense than forcing Nashville and DC United, or not DC United, sorry, FC Dallas play, you know, 20 times <laughs> right. just so they meet, you know, wh- however many goals. Um, I, I think in hindsight, that kind of looks silly if you're going to go to points per games anyway. But the Eastern Conference teams, unless there is a, a cancellation over the next week or so, um, the Eastern Conference teams will all finish with 23 games. So it has no real impact on the Revolution, um, whereas the Nashville-Dallas games, I guess, does have an impact uh, on the Revolution. Um, also, the Diego Fagundes appearance record where he passes uh, Shalry Joseph, that's going to have to wait again. It would have been nice for Diego Fagundes to have uh, made the record at 
Gillette Stadium. Uh, and also, this might have been his last game at Gillette Stadium, assuming the Revs go uh, on the roads for a playoff game. Uh, if they get knocked out before they make it back to Foxborough and Diego's not coming back next year, uh, this would have been his last game uh, at Gillette, but he never made it into the game. So, uh, you know, I'm sure he will get his appearance against Philadelphia, unless it is an extremely meaningful game. And uh, as I say, un- un- unless the Revs need to uh, push for a goal and they leave Fagundes on the side. But uh, I-, I-, I imagine he's just going to break it next game. Honestly, I'd feel worse about him not breaking it this game if there were actually fans in the stands to to witness it. <laughs> so yeah, it was a home game, but it was a, an empty stadium. So it makes me feel slightly less bad that he didn't get to do it at home. It's also a little disappointing too that he's going to break this record. And I mean, his, his stock has fallen in recent years. I think a lot of fans are, you know, I, I, I've said, I think it'll be best for him to move on and for the team to move on. Um, and, you know, I think that record shows how valuable he's been to this team uh, and how much of an impact he's made, especially breaking this record at 25 years old but he's breaking it kind of at his almost lowest point uh so i think it would have been a little more meaningful if he broke it you know when he was the 10 under brad friedel and he was making appearances every game and he had the team on his back um you know so it's a little disappointing it's happening in this manner but um you know still a a well-deserved record obviously uh an all-time great revolution player so it's gonna have to wait one more game uh, and also, while we're talking about players moving up in the record books, Adam Buxa with his sixth goal today, passing all-time great revolution uh, legend Juan Fernando Caicedo in goals scored <laughs> with the Revs. He moves up from five to six goals. So congrats to Adam uh, for passing uh, Juan Fernando Caicedo. Setting high bar. Caicedo too. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I, you, you had to know that that was coming. I, I've just been waiting all season for Adam Books' uh, sixth goal. Um, Sean, any final thoughts before we close up here today? No. I mean, it's again, uh, Revolution finally have a full week off between their next game going against Philadelphia. Um, you know, when you talk about how far can the Revolution go in the playoffs, I think if they could somehow get a result – in Philadelphia with Philadelphia playing for the supporter shield in the last game of the season. Um, that would be quite the statement, but, uh, and again, as the revolution get fully healthy, it's going to be interesting to see them tested with all three DPs finally available to play, uh, against one of the better teams in the league in Philadelphia, instead of against one of the worst teams in the league, uh, in DC. So that'll be something to look forward to next weekend. Also happy that game is earlier in the day so we can not record the podcast late at night. And any, did Tottenham win this week, Sean? Uh, Tottenham is in second place in the Premier League after a, a uh, not the cleanest win, but a win today with Bale scoring his first goal since coming back in the Premier League. So uh, exciting time to be a Spurs fan. It's been a very uh, boring three weeks without our 20 seconds of Spurs talk for our listeners. It's uh, great. We're finally getting that back into the program. So, um, well, uh, let's wrap up, Sean. Uh, where can people uh, find you on social media? You can find me at Sean Aldonahue, where I finally hit a thousand followers today. So that's exciting. Uh, a great uh, achievement. Our, our podcast Twitter is way off from that achievement. So uh, if you don't follow us on Twitter, please help me catch up to Sean. Uh, You can follow us at Revolution Recap. And please also leave a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. We still want to get to 50. I think we've gotten one review in the last two weeks ever since I've been begging for reviews. So, you know, if you haven't done it yet, this is my guilt trip. Please give us a review on iTunes or wherever you are listening. Um, I need to wrap this up real quick. We got a really intense 15 to 9 football game uh, that I got to watch the end of here. Boy, Eagles, Cowboys. I don't know why they're putting NFC East games on primetime games, but um, <laughs> we are going to be back next week after the Philadelphia Union game, the season finale, uh, and we'll know the Rebs' fate for the playoffs uh, at the end of that game. So please join us next week. Until then, thank you everyone for listening and go Rebs. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks. 
That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.